Hi, everybody. Welcome to the PR Masters podcast series. Today is number 59, and today we're honored to have as our guest a true and legendary PR master. She is Marjorie Krauss, founder and executive chairman of APCO Worldwide, a global advisory and advocacy communications consultancy headquartered in Washington, D.C. Marjorie specializes in public affairs, communication, and business consulting for major internationals. She founded APCO in 1984, and she transformed it from a company with one small Washington office to a multinational consulting firm in major cities throughout the Americas, Europe, the Middle East, Africa, and Asia. In September 2004, Marjorie led a management buyout of her firm, making APCO one of the largest privately owned consulting firms in its field in the world, and the largest that is majority women-owned. APCO was built almost entirely through organic growth. Marjorie Krauss has been recognized through a number of prestigious awards that are really too numerous to mention. She's, a, she's in a variety of halls of fame, most powerful women, excellence in leadership, lifetime achievement, and so on. She's on various institutional and corporate boards and committees. Marjorie Krauss has been married to the same man for more than 50 years, actually number 56, and is the mother of three and the grandmother of nine. And she's the author of Roots and Wings, 10 Lessons of Motherhood That Helped Me Create and Run a Company. And I'll be talking to Marjorie a lot about this subject today. So would you please welcome Marjorie Krauss. Hey, Marjorie, the last time I saw you in person, I was sitting next to you at an industry dinner, and we were both keeping track of a New York Yankees World War Series game. Do you remember that? I remember that, but I don't remember being a Yankees fan. <laughs> um, well, you seem to be very interested in the score, as I recall. You know. Well, yeah, I'm, a, I'm an avid sports fan, and uh, but I, I'm not sure um, where the Yankee piece came from. And in my family, that might be heresy. So, uh, oh, just to correct right, the, the record, the Brooklyn connection, right? The Brooklyn. Yes, connection. exactly. <laughs> But it's bad enough because my husband is a lifelong Brooklyn Dodger, now, you know, Los Angeles Dodgers fan. But my oh, family were Giants fans. Oh, so all that along I thought you were a New York Yankees fan because, because you very were interested in the score. And I was sitting next to you, and I, you know, as an avid Yankee fan myself who grew up in the Bronx, uh, I was very interested in how they were doing. And it turned out they won that game and they won the World Series. So you brought, you brought us some luck anyway, even if you were not a diehard Yankee fan. <laughs> well, I'm glad. Marjorie, welcome to PR podcast, PR Masters podcast. Uh, it's about time you're with us because you obviously are truly one of the legends in the industry. You've built a, a tremendous firm that's well-respected and is world-renowned. So can you tell us initially a little bit about your agency and why it's different from other agencies? Well, I, th I thank you for the compliment. Um, you know, when you start something from scratch, you don't often stand back and say, wow. Uh, so um, I, I think of us really as continuing along our startup journey, although we're almost 1,000 people now. Um, the, 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 um, I think there are a couple of things that uh, were important to me in building the company. And that kind of, um, I think, are, have led to the things that are differentiators. One of them was um, offering very integrated service that when I got into this business, I didn't come from the industry. I'm a, I'm a former high school civics teacher. I don't know if you knew that. So um, 
I didn't yes, come I with, the, with the biases maybe of having worked in an agency or anything. And so I always thought right from the beginning that we should be solving problems or creating opportunities and not um, about what we sold. Uh, in other words, we weren't just PR or GR or something like that. It was about how do you bring these services together to try to help solve problems or create opportunities. So one of the things that has distinguished APCO from the get-go is that it's a very integrated offer. And that requires you to have a very eclectic group of people. So we're in a constant uh, learning situation ourselves because we're learning from our colleagues who may have very different backgrounds than we do in terms of um, their life experience. So that was one thing. The, the other thing is, um, from the very beginning, we also were very um, worldly, if you want to call it that. I call it global. Um, and I think we always thought about this as what moves the needle where you are, but what are some of the world-class practices? And as we went around the world, one of the things that we did was we – took best practices, but we also localized them. And so in, a, in many markets, we were the first to offer the services that we have. And that required um, us to be um, really organic in our growth. So um, instead of buying things and lab labeling them, one of the things about APCO is its strong cultural roots. And um, and so that was, um, you know, going into these markets, starting our second office in Moscow in 1988, to give you some idea of the adventuresome nature of the company, um, we went in and we found people that we thought shared our values, and, um, and then we trained them, um, for, especially in the markets where they didn't really offer the services that we had. On, on how we work and how we think. And I think all of this, to answer your question, you know, more succinctly, led to the formation of a company that was based on some core values, kind of freedom in a framework, created a lot of entrepreneurship around the world, and um, also was the link to the book I wrote called Roots and Wings because I felt like the way I built my company was the way I raised my family, that they're um, to, you know, we used to say there are two lasting things of value you give your kids, roots and wings. And I feel like with the company, that's what I did. It was a matter of having strong values and roots and then allowing the company to grow by uh, finding these wonderful entrepreneurial people around the world who believed in what we believed in. Let's talk about your, uh, your book, Roots and Wings, which I had the pleasure of reading over the last few days. It's a wonderful book, and I uh, really – uh, advise every listener who's uh, listening to us today to get hold of a copy. It's uh, called, again, Roots and Wings, Ten Lessons of Motherhood That Helped Me Create and Run a Company. So um, tell us what you meant by Roots and Wings. Tell us how you describe Roots and, and how you described Wings, because well, I, I think I, that's it's, very it's relevant. Kind of along, it's, yeah, it's along the lines of what I just said. You know, Roots to me are – what 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 are your fundamental beliefs? What is your north star? Uh, it defines uh, what's you know how you behave. Uh, it's your values, and I think if you if you bind people together by some common values, whether it's your home, whether it's your marriage, whether it's your work, um, then it's easier to give people the freedom to do their best work and be entrepreneurial. 
or your children a chance to grow and, and reach their full potential. So I think that Roots and Wings is fundamental to APCO's success um, because it, we, we were able to attract uh, a lot of people who had good ideas and just needed some, um, some place to, to grow, execute, um, but that were all driven by some common values. And I, it's, you know, I feel that way about my family. I feel we're very close because we, you know, we were bound together by some things that, um, that we thought were important, whether it's religion, um, you know, a way of life, um, engagement in society, but also uh, it's the trust that comes from if you believe people share your values, then you can let them um, explore their full potential. But, you know, you made a decision early on um, that a lot of women obviously uh, have, many women anyway, have a difficult time deciding on. Your decision, uh, based on your book, was that you are going to have both a career and you're going to have a family and you're going to have both and you're going to make it work. Um, so what advice do you have to women out there, you know, in terms of how you did it? Uh, I'm not asking you to recite all the passages of the book, but obviously you have some very strong beliefs in how the two can work together. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, I think that one of the real stresses to a lot of women is this idea that of work-life balance because there is no such thing. And I would say that especially in our industry and in consulting that you have to just decide at the beginning work-life balance is uh, seems like there's a scale somewhere that, that looks at these things. And some days your balance is going to be totally in one direction and some days it's going to be totally in the other. It's about the cumulative nature of the, you know, of how this works. And so I've always believed that the real answer is work-life integration. Find those things at home that you bring to work. Find those things at work you can bring home. Involve your family um, in the sense of, you know, let when when my kids were ten, taking them uh, to watch what I did because uh, let them be proud of of me not, and not think that I'm just getting away. Uh, working, um, and and they became my support system. So you know, I think it's really important for, especially for these younger women, and especially during COVID. I don't know how these younger women are coping when there's no, uh, you know, when things change every day. Whether it's you know schools are open, they're not open, or whatever. But I think the work-life integration is a different uh, metrics, and um, you can find a lot of ways to take the learnings of work home. Uh, when my kids were little, they used to keep a map, and I traveled so much that it was the way, one way they learned geography. Um, you know, uh, that's the kind of thing I'm talking about. Or if there's something big happening at work, somehow letting them be part of the fun of it. Um, so you also, I, I just, you also have to – sorry, get go ahead. Stressed. <laughs> You also have to have the support of your of your husband, uh, with Definitely. whom you've been married for over 50 years. Uh, how was that subject raised? How did it come about? And, uh, and obviously, it's worked well. But how how was it how was it uh, arrived at initially in terms of the agreement uh, that you had with your husband about uh, your your doing both? Well, we never had an agreement. <laughs> I mean, you know, 
I'm I'm old, right? So uh, at the time when all this was going on, women, you really, I mean, women did choose between work and 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 uh, home, and you know, we came from we both came from rather traditional families that way. Um, but I always felt like um, it was an an evolution uh, where you know he respected um, the fact that there were some choices I wanted to make. And I tried never to have those choices uh, impact uh, his ability to do what he wanted. And, you know, we just developed a partnership that matured over time and where he took, um, I was very lucky that I married somebody who took joy from seeing me succeed and, and vice versa. That doesn't happen in every relationship. And I think rather than have that talk at the front end about, well, I'm going to work or I'm going to do this. I think what's important is that um, you you have the um, understanding of how you're going to communicate about various things that come up during your marriage and that you have honest conversations along the way. And I made it clear at times that um, I that my marriage was more important than my job. Um, I was never put to that test, but... Um, you know, I, I think um, I think my husband, you know, was um, uh, also never challenged that. So, you know, I think it's just something that evolved over time, and it got easier actually as we got older because we um, we had an equilibrium about this where um, his interests and my interests did not really conflict a lot. And I think for a lot of young people who are you know, looking at how you do this in the long run, I think you really have to um, have these honest conversations before you get married, not just about working, but about, you know, your how you feel about raising kids. And, you know, and, and even so, uh, there are just certain things in life that aren't exactly fair on a scorecard. I mean, women do end up doing a majority of things at home and for the most part, and there are things about child rearing that don't get as shared as they can, but on balance, um, I think you just have to decide what's important to you and, um, and then live with it. So here you have built a, a company um, raising not only wonderful children, but raising wonderful talent in your own business organization. Uh, your company does well over $100 million according to recent rankings that I've seen. Um, we're, we're actually uh, probably going to hit $200 million, so this year. Oh so it's God. really grown really? in the last couple of years, really grown very fast. $200 million. Wow. Marjorie, my God. I'm really in awe of you. <laughs> I really am. I'm sitting here sitting in awe of you, okay? But uh, <laughs> so, so my question is, you know, um, how did you do it? You know, I mean, um, I, I, I know you talked about, you know, combining, you know, your, your home life with business, but a $200 million company, how did you do oh, it? I, I mean, you, you know, you know it's not how did I did it. It's how did we do it? You know, one of the things I've been blessed with is, um, not only wonderful staff, but long tenured people. Um, you know, the average tenure at APCO has always been um, quite high. It's not that there isn't churn as there is in the industry, but I've had uh, over time a number of people who have stayed with me 25 years or 30 years. 
Um, our person who runs North America started with APCO as an intern 20 years ago. Um, you can't do this on your own. I mean, no matter how good I could be or whatever, this is about having um, people, and um, and this is, goes back to values, who, who want to build, you know, you're all oaring in the same direction. And one of the things that I did in 2004 when I did the management buyout of APCO is I set aside stock for um, employees so that when people um, near their retire from APCO, that they have a nest egg besides what they've been able to save from salary. So we have a lot of people who have come through the system as owners of the company, and when they've um, decided it was time to go, they've, they've been uh, rewarded because we buy the stock back at the current price. And the stock has grown, you know, I don't know, 15-fold. <laughs> uh, so people uh, have made uh, some, some good money over that. So, so um, you know, anyway, that's so that, that's how you do it. You can't, you know, and obviously good work and word of mouth and uh, luck is part of it, you know, timing, but um, it's the people front and center. But obviously, you, you've been the leader of the organization, and you know you've assembled the cast, so to speak. You've been, you know, the producer, director, writer, and what have you. Uh, uh, how do you, how how do you foresee the capabilities that people might have? In other words, what what is it that you've done that really has brought out, the, you know, the the talent and capabilities of the people who have become part of the we of APCO? Well, I think you have an instinct for people who step up and and who are really smart, and you always try to have the proverbial people around you that are smarter than you do, than you are. Um, I also have always kind of known the things that I'm good at and the things I'm less good at and try to fill those gaps with people who are high-performing in their respective fields. Um, and I think the combination of that, and then you take chances with people, and I want to say this especially to the women who are listening to this, that a lot of times, even as a women-owned business where half of the people in management are women and all of that, when sometimes when, I, I, when, when we go to stretch um, the women who um, are part of the company and we say there's this opportunity, some of the women um, answer very differently, answer that calling very differently than the men do. The men are always seem to say, yes, I can do it, even if they've never done it or whatever. And the women are too honest about, I've never done that before. I don't know if I can do that. So I think sometimes, um, you know, I always say that um, uh, I use this Eleanor Roosevelt quote maybe as a driving force, that nobody can make you feel inferior without your own consent. And I really <laughs> believe that. I think that, um, you know, you give people a chance, and most people will um, overperform when they're given that opportunity to do something uh, beyond their current capabilities. You know, one of the one of the uh, things you say in your in your book and advice you give to to others, uh, and I remember this because I wrote it down, <laughs> is think big and have passion. Could you elaborate on that a little bit? Because obviously you have you have done that. Well, I think it's what the secret sauce of APCO has been, um, is that, you know, don't let people um, um, kind of bring your dreams down. 
Um, every time I did something different, when I first went to Europe with the company or something like that, everybody would tell me why it wouldn't work. And, um, you know, you just have to have this innate um, stubbornness, I guess. Um, and, you know, so thinking big was always a, an important part. I'm from a town of 3,000 people. My school was K through 12 in one building. I never had a high school graduate diploma until after I got my master's. So, you know, if I had been, if I had just followed every time somebody told me I couldn't do it, um, it wouldn't have happened. So I think part of it is, so I think you always have to have that big dream. Um, and then you you have to really, for something like this, which is, you know, consumes a lot of your life, um, if you don't have passion, you shouldn't do it. I think that's true of any job. I think if you don't have passion, there's no way you're going to do a great job at what you're doing. And, um, you know, I'm very passionate about what I do. I'm passionate about the people. I'm passionate when I know that we can deliver a service that will make a difference for a client and maybe something no one else could have done. Those things really feed into that. So I, I really think that that's a driving force for me. And, in fact, I had that sign on my desk, think big, have passion. I want everybody uh, to feel that. There's uh, an anecdote you uh, uh, you have in your book about uh, the time you discovered uh, that you had confidence. Um, and that was while you were at uh, Arnold and Porter, which I assume is what APCO stands for. Is that right, AP? When we first started in 1984, we were the between 1984 and 1991, we were the affiliate. Uh, we were a consulting affiliate of Arnold and Porter, the Washington law firm Arnold and Porter, and that is in fact where AP came from in the name. Yeah, yeah. So there, there you talk. You, you have an anecdote about the day you discovered confidence. Do you remember that anecdote? I'm sure you. Oh, of course I do, because that's what I was just <laughs> talking about with Eleanor Roosevelt. I, I felt like, um, you know, again, this is a woman's insecurity, right? Uh, I had left a job I loved. I had a staff of 200 people. It was a close-up foundation. It fit very well with my life plan, which was I was a high school civics teacher, and this was a program for high school students to find their voice to come to Washington. And I came to Arnold and Porter, and, you know, everybody had um, a pedigree, of, of of one of the Ivies, and they were brilliant people. And here I was, um, not not only not a lawyer, but you know, I didn't exactly have the same um, background. And um, and so I I I thought I was an excellent writer, and I started to get writer's block, and um, I was starting to question my own judgment. And I was 38 already, so I was, and I had helped to build a foundation which is still in existence and does great things, a close-up. And um, I, I was feeling very depressed about it if I had made a mistake. And, um, and I was helping my son with his homework one night. He was in high school at the time. And we came across that Eleanor Roosevelt quote that I mentioned before about nobody makes you feel inferior without your own consent. And I thought, oh, my gosh, this is about me, not about them. I'm, this is all in my head. And, um, you know, and I realized that if I, if I think it, I can do it, and I'm just going to do it. And, you know, what's the worst thing could happen? I could get fired, I guess, but um, I'm just going to go for it. 
and I did. So, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I said, and I did. Okay. Go for it. Oh, you certainly did, and certainly did. Two hundred million dollars later. <laughs> uh, what? What? Given the, the success of APCO, um, what do you consider your style of management to be? I, I know you, you you've alluded to it, but you know how would you how would you characterize it? How do you bring out the best in people, which obviously is what you did? Well, I, I think you know hopefully it's nurturing. That's very important to me. That um, you try to find people's uh, best assets and help them with those, and um, and being honest with people about what their deficiencies are and and how they could correct for them, uh, or maybe they can't and they in the wrong profession and they're unhappy too. Um, so I, I think that's part of it. I think um, transparency and honesty is really important. Uh, I think that, um, you know, at the beginning of COVID, we brought everybody together globally and we said, you know, truthfully, we can't promise you that we know um, – you know, that jobs are going to be secure or anything like that. It's just we will always be honest about what we know and what we don't know, and we're going to work damn hard to make sure you all, that APCO survives this and you all have your jobs. So, um, But we will get together every couple months and let you know where things stand. And, um, you know, I think people appreciated that. I'm sure they would rather have had the certainty, but how can anybody have certainty when you're at the front end of a pandemic? So, I just felt like, um, you know, when these things have come up, that you, you just need to let people know um, what's going on and, and to be honest uh, with them. So Marjorie, uh, you've been in this industry a while now, and um, my next question is this. How, how do you think public relations has changed since you got into it and what you envision to be its future. I, I know obviously COVID is playing a, a part in that, but, but overall, you know, uh, you've been in it for a number of years. Uh, how do you think, how do you think it's, uh, it's gotten to where it is and where, where will it go? Well, I think that um, there's a huge opportunity going forward um, that it depends, you know, what you're putting in the bucket of public relations. I define this quite broadly on communications and, you know, the whole external stakeholder world and internal for that matter. And I think that um, communication is much more at the center of the universe than it ever has been. I think if you talk to people, um, these CEOs that have come through COVID, I think they realize that um, communication is one of the areas that, um, that has gotten them through whether it's internal, whether it's with their stakeholders, whether it's with their customers and clients, um, staying in touch, building relationships, modeling good behavior, understanding um, the environment in which you're working, all of those things are um, come together under the banner of communications and um, being able to interpret the world for your business and um, your business for the world. And that's never been more important than it is now. I think that I think that people who can offer these more integrated and higher end services will have a seat at the table and will help define the future. And I think the ones that are more commoditized will probably struggle a little more um, and go with whatever the the uh, financial 
situation is in the world if there's inflation and things get cut or you know i think that that um you know proving your worth every day is really important so i i'm very optimistic about the future i'm not sure what the definition is going to be because a lot of the management consulting firms are finding that uh iq isn't enough you need eq and they're moving in our direction and i think that um at least for us uh, being able to do some of the things the management consulting firms do when it comes to uh, stakeholder uh, identification, engagement, and progress for our clients is something that um, we're doing too. And I think there'll be a convergence and some overlap here. So I think it's important to know know your value, know your future, um, and build toward it. Do you have a, a vision as to where you want uh, APCO to go in, in the uh, years ahead in terms of size, scope, uh, you know, uh, other areas? You know, it's been interesting. I've never defined APCO by size. Um, I've never de- defined – I've always wanted enough people in enough places to do a good job for our clients. So I've never said we're going to be X by Y. <laughs> Uh, because I think it's irrelevant. I think you can you can play the numbers game as much as you want. Um, the real, you know, to me, it's how many um, repeat offenders do we have as clients? You know, how many people believe in us enough that they um, they've taken us on as partners, and that we're doing real meaningful work, and that we're able to grow the business because we can invest in our growth, which is something you can do when you're um, majority employee owned that's very hard for the bigger firms you know the the ones that are part of these holding companies to do um and um and so for me what i'd like to see is apco continue on this trajectory of of growth that's defined by our value to the marketplace and to do high quality services that invite people to um to have us in as partners and to help them figure out the future um, and to give us front-page work, which is something I've been very proud of, the kinds of issues that we work on. And then I think the other thing is, you know, this last year we formed something called APCO Impact. With all the work that's been going on over the last few years, the, the movement toward purpose uh, for corporations and ESG and, and the whole climate issue um, and then um, diversity and inclusion and gender, I kind of felt like all those things are all about uh, equity and justice in society and that they shouldn't be thought of as um, as siloed things that companies have to check off. And so we created APCO Impact to integrate these services. And it's, it's going really well. And I think when we can see the future like that and we try to put our services together in a way that advance our clients, that's the kind of thing I want us to continue to do. And that will be dictated by what's going on in the world. We have a a new area also we call, um, it's kind of geopolitics. And it's, um, you know, it's linking kind of um, what's happening in these new markets with companies coming out with what's happening on the trade side with um, barriers uh, on the supply chain or tariffs and 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 being able to help companies think through how their product and services are going to be delivered in the future, where they should be based, you know, those kind of things. So those are all high-stakes 
kind of things. And um, that's, that's to me, that's, I, I, my goal for APCO has been to be the place where you go and you can't afford to fail. That's another, gosh, you, you come up with some great taglines, is all I got to say, <laughs> you know, uh, and that's certainly another one of them. So, um, what 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 is APCO doing in, in terms of diversity and inclusion? What 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 what's your view on that, and how are you proceeding? Um, well, I'm very proud that we're probably among the most diverse of um, of any of the firms, um, both in our management. You know, just if you looked at the U.S., um, a minority is running Washington, a minority is running North Carolina. <laughs> we have women running New York and Chicago. Excuse me. Um, we have quite a, and then we have a practice in this area as well. Um, but we we um, we also uh, at the we've taken on some clients that also kind of stretch us and have us work with groups that um, that give us insight into those diverse populations. So, for instance, we worked with the George Floyd family on the foundation and the launch of the activities they were doing. We work with the Hispanic Chamber of Commerce. Uh, we've worked with the NAACP. We've, you know, we've, we've, we have a number of clients in some, uh, both in pro bono and, and for, um, for fee work. Um, and, um, and I think that's given us insight as well. So what we've done internally is we also have a program called Accelerate What's Right. And at the fundamental uh, first thing we do is when you sign on to APCO, you have to take a pledge, and you have to sign a pledge about um, um, non-discrimination pledge. But it has more to do with not just it, not just non-discrimination. It has to do with inclusion and uh, the positive side of it. And you know we do that because we think it's important that if you don't believe in that, you shouldn't be at APCO. But also it raises a consciousness, just like when you sign your confidentiality agreement, it's at the same level that you're signing this inclus inclusivity pledge. Um, so we try to make everybody very conscious of that. And then we've done some of the things that probably um, others have done in terms of, um, you know, having support groups and having discussions internally um, with um, with the different populations, whether it's LGBTQ or whether it's, you know, uh, it's, it's uh, African American or whatever, um, we find ways to bring people together internally. And then um, we have conversations. We invite it. We've we've had a whole series of speakers from the from various minority communities come in and talk about their life. Um, people at the kind of celebrity level and. We've had their voluntary discussions for our staff, but we've had up to half of our U.S. population show up for these discussions. Um, so it's a variety of things. It's not just one thing. So what's been the toughest part uh, now or in the past of, of uh, your career at, uh, at APCO and, and, and obviously helping to build it? I think the toughest part was um, – you know, the kind of things, I'm basically an optimistic person, um, and I'm basically a trusting person. And um, there were times along the way when um, when I did the management buyout, having investors that, um, you know, that eventually 
uh, wore out their welcome. <laughs> That's the way I could say it. But, you know, people who you put their trust in and then find out that their interests aren't aligned. And um, and so those are always moments of great um, disappointment and, and worse sometimes that, um, you know, you have to figure out how you're going to um, – how you're going to um, how you're going to change what's happening, and then I think also being a woman doing this, um, there have been moments of of great um, trepidation on the financing side because I didn't have working capital available to me. I had to bootstrap this along the way to get it going, and you know now it's very easy for banks to come forward or for funding sources to come forward and. And, and maybe offer to, um, to to work with us and be excited about it. But there were times when um, it, it, that, that the, the pickings were very lean. And, and so working through all of that and trying to do it in a way where the staff felt like taking this burden away from my team <laughs> and letting me worry about that so they can do the good work that they do, that was pretty tough at times because it's a pretty lonely feeling and um it's it's a tremendous responsibility when you think about all these lives that depend upon you i can understand that you know full well marjorie i just got a, a few more questions for you i appreciate the time you're taking with oh the, yeah no problem the, uh, PR masters today i really do um uh, just changing the subject uh, a, a little bit who are your heroes <laughs> You know, that is a very interesting question for me because uh, usually people say, who are your mentors? And, and um, you know, and I, I, what I did, I, know, I can't say there's one person out there that was my hero uh, unless I say it was like, you know, my husband, my mother, you know, people who really impacted me and gave me the ability to do what I'm doing. But um, I think for me it was a matter of um, of looking at, um, at, at the people I worked with over the years, like even before I started APCO, and in my head thinking, boy, I love the way that person manages or does that, and I want to, I want to replicate that. And then in other cases it was, oh, my God, I never want to be like that. And I learned as much from people who I thought were bad managers or were um, not up to the, the task uh, just by observation than I did from the, the the ones that were good role models. So I think, you know, I think that, that in terms of work life, I'd say that was the case. I think in terms of my personal life and people, um, you know, I, I was very drawn um, early on to people like Mahatma Gandhi, you know, about peaceful resolution of things. Um, I built a huge friendship with Hubert Humphrey when he was uh, vice president when he was in the Senate. And uh, I was always taken by how he how he dealt with people and how he always had time for the little guy. Um, and so, you know, and then, you know, I, I think a lot about my, my mother in particular who um, was born in Poland but raised in Cuba and who got up, got up as a, as a, you know, teenager basically or in her late teens and came to the United States uh, not knowing the language, the culture, anything else, you know, to leave twice, uh, leave everything behind is, 
is uh, is you know is really tough. And I thought, you know, if I was in that situation, would I would I have had the nerve to do what um, what others have done that are only a generation away? And so, um, you know, I, one thing I put in the book about my mom is that what I learned from her is she used to say, "Where there's a will, there's a way." And I remember that because, um, you know, as I said, I'm inherently stubborn. And um, it's what makes us good with clients, too. It's like if there's not an obvious solution, we have to just think harder um, because there's always a way. So, Marjorie, taking a step back, uh, what's your view of where our country is today? And and, uh, do you feel that the services, you know, APCO provides and, and the field of public relations and public relations consulting as well, can play a more meaningful role in in helping our country uh, get through the current storms that it's in. So where do you think where where do you think we are today? Oh boy, <laughs> um, I told you that I was a civics teacher, and um, you know one of the things I dedicated my early career to was helping young people find a voice and to talk about the U.S. Uh, our our um, you know, democracy demanding that it's not a spectator sport, that people have to be engaged. Um, I am very worried about our country. Um, I love our country. Um, but I'm I'm very worried about um, all the disinformation that's out there that causes people to make judgments about about government, about each other, about issues um, that are are just not Right, and um, and they lead to uh, the consequences that we've seen. And yes, I think I think I would say you know this. I I think of it as you know public affairs and um, as I said and and PR together. But I think that the um, the the more we can try to give high quality information and communications, but also we have to understand there are a lot of people who feel disaffected. And so it's not just a matter of giving out information. It's a matter of engagement. And I think the biggest single thing we can do is teach people how to talk to each other and how to engage. It's not just about what you're saying, but how people listen. And, um, you know, and, and coming to some common solutions for the future. Things aren't black and white, and they never have been. And so um, I think we have to keep at this until we get it right. And I'd like to not think about the consequences of failure. So I think our industry and the individuals in our industry have a big role to play here um, in in um, helping others learn the basics of a good communication skills, which is not just about how you talk about things, but also about how you respect the uh, points of view of various audiences and how you find language that reaches them in a way that's meaningful. Marjorie, I have good news for you. I have just looked into my crystal ball, and I see a long, healthy life ahead of you. You have many, many years left in this uh, <laughs> world of ours. So given that, my final, my final question of the day to you is this. Where do you see Marjorie Krausen in the years ahead, given the fact that you will outlive all of us? Given the fact that I'm already 75, <laughs> um, you know, I, I, 
I think um, you know, look, I'm hoping for a long a long and I don't have to hope for a happy life because I've been blessed with that. But um, you know, I I want to contribute um in any way I can. I do a lot of work outside of APCO. I'm involved in a lot of um things, especially for women and encouraging women into more entrepreneurial fields. I chair the WPO, Women Presidents Organization. It's 2,000 women-owned businesses. I do a lot of other things. And I do that because I think, you know, you have to play it forward, and I will continue to do that as long as I have the strength and the and the capability of doing it. But I also um, recognize there's a time and place for everything, and I think I've built um, a good foundation for succession at APCO uh, for leaders who are um, coming through the ranks who can can continue the forward momentum of the company and give me maybe a little more time with these unbelievable grandchildren I have uh, who are now going out in the world on their own too. And, and um, you know, I want to be there for them. And, and my husband and I are going to have our 56th this year. Uh, if oh, wow. he keeps me, um, and um, you know, so so I see you know a blending of what I've been doing all along and where that scale is in terms of integration between work and life and and other things I'm interested in. Um, you know, will continue to be evaluated as we go. The one thing I don't want to do is to stay beyond my welcome. I don't think you'll ever do that, Marjorie. Well, I can say on behalf of the world, you're welcome any place you want to be and any place you want to go <laughs> and <laughs> well, anything you. you want to do. Well, thank you, Art. At least so I have one person out there to call. <laughs> <laughs> well, Marjorie, on behalf of our PR Masters podcast listeners, I really thank you for sharing today. I mean, you have been candid, you've been direct, and you've been eloquent, and you are indeed a PR Master. And thank you so much for being with us today. Well, thank you for caring enough to ask. I really appreciate it. And I uh, wish you the best on on your number 59. Thank you for having me. Okay. And thank you all for joining us today. I'm Art Stevens, your host, and I'm managing partner of the uh, Stevens Group, and I, we are signing off now. So see you all soon with the next PR Masters podcast. And as Marjorie said, it will be number 59. So take care, everybody. Have a great day. <laughs>